Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. And uh, we've got a pretty interesting show for you today. In a few minutes, we're going to speak with Wayne Piercy. Um, I do want to say that some of that conversation may be triggering or have, um, you know, have triggering feelings attached to it. So if you are sensitive, you may want to, you know, uh, not listen in today. We're going to be talking about some experiences that are a little harsh, um, but we will get to Wayne in a few minutes. And then later on in the program, we will be speaking with Cheryl Cummings, the new chair of MCAC. Uh, she's also going to be on the Board of Publications, and we all know and love her for the many things that she does for ACB. So that's later on in the program. Byron, I was just thinking about the disclaimer as, as it was going on. Every time I hear it, I always think of um, the movie Edward Scissorhands in the very beginning, <laughs> you know, with that music when they're showing the neighborhood and, and the lady cutting hair and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely get that cool 50s vibe to it. That's exactly what I uh, chose it for. Um, it came from an album called Four TV Dinners, and it's all of that um, royalty free music that you heard in uh, cartoons and 50s uh, educational films and things like that. So I kind of chose it for that exact same reason. It just sort of felt like a cool um, throwback. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. And I want to give some kudos to you and by extension to Chris. We've gotten so much feedback about the 3D audio and people are clamoring for when is the podcast going to come out? I personally cannot answer that question, but they are releasing a couple of podcasts a day throughout the month of August from our convention. So hopefully when that comes out, folks can re-listen to it. But folks are also asking, is there any way that you guys will do another one sometime soon? You know, we were actually thinking, how cool would it be to do um, a highlight of things that happen during the Blind Pride International Fall Social um, you know, if we if we bring a set of stereo microphones and record some of the fun things that we get up to in Denver and then make a binaural um, a binaural highlight reel of all the fun things that we did. Um, so, of course, we'll find out from people if they're OK with being recorded for a while. We'll do like, you know, maybe 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Um, and we'll make sure people know, hey, guys, you're going to be recorded for just a little bit. And we'll we'll try to just like give you guys an idea of what it's like to be at a fall social for uh, for BPI. Nice. Yeah. And for any BPI listeners uh, who are listening in, or anyone who is a friend or ally of BPI, our fall social this year will be in Denver uh, the weekend of October twenty second. 
So if you are a friend and want to hang out in person with uh, some of the BPI folk, please reach out to Gabriel, myself, or Leah. Um, Byron and Chris can answer some of the Denver questions too. So if you are interested, reach out to us and we'll give you the information. Um, real quick, Byron, what's going on with Next Gen? You guys have anything coming up that uh, we should pop in on? Yeah, so uh, Tyanne and I were talking about programs. Um, so originally we were thinking about doing a concert or a talent show or something in August, um, but we just didn't get our um, chickens in a row or ducks in a row uh, to get that to happen in time for August. So we're going to push that back to September. And what we're going to do is is we're just going to do sort of like a like a get to know you icebreakers thing for August. So we're going to come up because we got this idea from Anthony, actually, Um during Dare to Share and some of our other events for BPI, we have often done some icebreaker questions. So I'm going to look around for some good icebreaker questions. Um, and we're just going to try to get to know some of our newer members and some of the people that have been around ACB for a while. So that'll be um, that'll be near the end of August. It'll be the third Saturday of August. Um, and usually that starts at 7 p.m. So keep an eye on the ACB Next Generation website website and the community calls mailing list and our Facebook group for more information on this month's Saturday night live event. And you can always use my favorite icebreaker question with uh, no royalties uh, <laughs> intended. Um, right. You can always ask people what would their naughty screen name be? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. All right. Well, um, I am going to introduce my first guest, Mr. Wayne Piercy. Welcome to Sunday Edition. Hi, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me. And, and thanks for everyone who's tuning in today. Really appreciate you being here. So we're going to we're going to get into the subject at hand in a few minutes. But um, the uh, the listeners out there who may not know you, tell them a little bit about yourself. And if you'd like to hear some of Wayne's music and a really, really in-depth conversation with one of BPI's founding members, uh, Dwayne Astis, you can also hear uh, uh, Wayne and Dwayne. Wow, say that three times fast. You can also Wayne hear Dwayne. Wayne and Dwayne <laughs> on uh, Pride Connection. Go to ACB Media and search for Pride Connection on the podcast. And you can learn in depth and hear some of his trumpet playing. But um, give the folks give the folks the Reader's Digest version of, of Wayne Piercy. Sure. Well, I'm a classical and jazz trumpet player, and I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Um, also um, helped to start a program for music technology um, that, and uh, assistive music technology at the college, and I worked there for several years. Um, I guess things that I like outside of music, um, I like wine, I like um, dark chocolate, um, maybe a little bit of cannabis from time to time. Um, I like uh, watching, uh, you know, funny, funny videos, um, you know, uh, educational things on YouTube. I like getting to know people. Um, I'm just an all around friendly guy that, that plays, plays trumpet. And I do some, I do some composition as well. So I've, I've written some, uh, I've written some uh, 
jazz tunes and I've dabbled around. I've dabbled in, you know, writing for concert band and um, a little bit for orchestra. Nothing, nothing published or anything, but, um, you know, it's, it's good to explore those mediums as well. And you're one of those rare people that has perfect pitch, right? Yep, I'm one of those. I'm one of those cats. Yep. So I, I've always wondered, you know, I think it's 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 a personal, it's different for everyone, but how you know, how is the annoyance level when you're, you know, when you're playing with a group and somebody is off pitch? Does that throw you or have you learned to tune it out? Oh, I mean, it annoys me, but I think it annoys me probably just about as much as it does any other professional musician. I think that when I was a kid, maybe it was it was stronger, but as you play in so many different situations in your life, you kind of are like, well, all right, I guess I have to deal with this, you know? So you get, you get to a point where yes, it's annoying, but you can kind of, you can, you can kind of manage it. So we're going to, we're going to take a journey into this conversation. And part of, part of that journey is your childhood and, and how, um, how and where you were raised. So do you want to, do you want to start there and, and tell us a little bit about growing up? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, just a very, you know, synopsis. I mean, I, my parents were both blind and, um, they were, you know, uh, heavily involved in the, um, the other, you know, the other cons- major consumer organization for blind people here in this country. And, um, they, ended up working at the, uh, another training center of the Louisiana center for the blind. Um, my dad, uh, back to music briefly, my dad was a guitar player and he was the one who just, you were asking me about perfect pitch earlier. My dad was the one who discovered that I had perfect pitch when I was about four years old and he showed me the note names and, um, he made me aware that I had a very special gift and he told me, you know, always use this gift because uh, you, you can do great things with it. Um, it took me, you know, many years to find the trumpet, but uh, you know, once I once I found that, then that was that was what what did it for me. And um, I was formally introduced to classical music at about ten years of age, and um, you know, originally thought I was going to be a classical composer. Um, still want to do that, but I got, I got distracted by this metal thing that you can blow air through. So, (laughs) so, so there was that, but, um, you know, kind of getting back to the, 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 the conversation and kind of where we're headed. Um, my parents were very heavily involved in the other, you know, organization and worked at the Louisiana center for the blind off and on for several years. And my mom currently works there as a, um, as a receptionist. And um, so I was very, you know, heavily, uh, shall we say, for lack of a better word, heavily inundated with um, uh, blind empowerment, as, as it were, and, and you know, just, um, you know, being, you know, a lot of independence talk and a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, things, things like that. So I went to a lot of national conventions, I went to a lot of state conventions, chapter meetings, whether I wanted to or not, um, you know, um, I, 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 I guess, uh, I dealt with quite a bit of discrimination in school, especially living in Louisiana, um, in elementary school. Um, my parents had a really rough time getting me things that I needed and, and, you know, 
that that sort of thing it was um it was rough being in louisiana at that at that at that time um i did move back to texas for several years that's where i was born originally but then i ended up my my dad had a business that that went under and um we ended up moving back to louisiana and i graduated high school in in louisiana and they were at the the center for the blind there again so you know for someone like me i'm i'm about five and a half years into into blindness. blindness. Um, a lot of us don't know what the training centers are like. Can you give us, you know, a, a snapshot of what what the centers are, how they're structured, and, and what they're like when you're there? Yeah. So basically, the what what the centers provide is they they provide um, they provide you know basic skills training. So they help you with, um, they help you with, you know, computer skills, Braille, uh, Braille literacy, um, which of course I already knew Braille, um, cooking, um, you know, a lot of home management stuff and uh, cane travel. Those are the four main components. They also have students take a woodshop class um, to further build self-confidence and they, they do, um, they do activities as a group. Um, and, you know, I think depending on where you are, those activities might vary a little bit. Like um, when I was in Colorado and of course we're going to get to this more, but um, you know, they did like whitewater rafting, they did, um, you know, rock climbing. Um, they did canoeing, different things like that. We also went skiing, which was super fun. We went, we went skiing like, you know, seven or eight times during the winter, which was, which was really great. You don't get to do that in Louisiana. Um, of course, because you know, um, yeah, <laughs> Louisiana is hot. <laughs> which I'm sure you get by you tours. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so I, I did, I did that. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was really cool. So ha- how it works too, is you live in an apartment and, um, you have a roommate and, you know, what they want you to practice your skills at home. So like cooking and, 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 you know, cleaning your house and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, so, so they, so they want you to do, you know, all these things at your house and, um, they, they'll, you know, they'll come in and inspect your apartment, make sure your apartment's clean. And I think they're, you know, depending on what center you go to, I can't speak for all of them, but I think that there maybe are, uh, varying standards of, of, you know, what they like, is your apartment, you know, one place might be like, your apartment needs to be spotless. And then the other place might be like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's clean, you know, it's not spotless, but you're doing a good job. So it de- kind of depends on who it is and where you are. And, you know, you know how that is. Um, so the training program lasts for six to nine months. And um, at the Louisiana Center for the Blind, my mom, as I said, has been a receptionist. Um, she also did in the nineties, did a little bit, I think a little bit of computer training back in the day. My dad, um, served, you know, worked there in various capacities, um, as a home economics instructor. He did a little bit of, of cane travel, um, mostly cooking, but he, he did do a couple other things, you know, early on, um, in the nineties, but, but cooking was his main thing. Um, so that's kind of, and the centers have uh, summer programs for uh, youth 
um, you know, for as young as like, you know, nine to 10 years of age, all the way up through high school. And those programs are, of course, much shorter, but they, they kind of offer the same type of blindness skills training and activities and, you know, things like that. So they, they sort of provide the same thing, just sort of in miniature form to the adult program. So you you double embody the the phrase being born into blindness, not only Oh you know, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Not only in the visual sense, but you know, you were you were immersed in the blind world, you know, from from the cradle. So do you yeah. feel that, that 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 gave you an advantage in life? Or no, how, no. you know, how do you feel about no. having been in that, you know, in this that part of the blindness world for, for all that time? When I went to, <laughs> when I went to Berkeley, um, when I finally, you know, was able to get, you know, get everything together and, and come up to Boston, I wanted, and I, sorry guys, I really don't want this to sound negative because I, I'm in a much better place with this now. But, but when I, when I went to college, I wanted, I wanted nothing to do with any blind people at all. I was completely, I was like, I only want sighted friends. I only want to hang out with sighted people. I am absolutely done. (laughs) I have heard about this for my whole life. I've been around blind people my whole life. A lot of my, you know, um, family's friends were, were blind. Then I went to, of course, the, the Colorado center for the blind and was inundated with more of that philosophy and, 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 you know, empowerment and and that sort of thing so I was really and then of course I went back home because I had a a, I didn't apply for college while I was at the training center because I didn't really know I needed to and I was just trying to survive which we're going to get to that but um you know I I just didn't I, I you know I went back home to more blind people after the center so when I got to Boston I really just wanted to make a break I really did um I did ended up I did end up making blind friends of course but at the beginning, I wasn't seeking that out. If somebody approached me, I wasn't standoffish or anything like that, but I just wasn't. I You're just blind, get out of my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't like that. I was definitely still like, okay, like I'm, you know, but I wasn't actively looking for those types of relationships. I wanted to make musical friends who could play jazz really well, who could play classical really well. I wanted to do well in school. I wanted to, you know, go to jam sessions. I wanted to be completely immersed in music. That's what I, that's what I really wanted. Um, so, but I think, I think, you know, and being a kid, like, I, I think I resisted a lot of the skills because I had to hear about it so much. And I didn't realize why I was so adverse to like learning how to cook or, you know, learning how to clean or, you know, this, this kind of thing. But um, I think I realized it after I got out of the Colorado center, why I didn't really want to have anything to do with it. And I think it was really just because I was just so inundated and my, my parents, I think, you know, uh, you know, my parents were having to do that all day at work and, I think my parents were kind of were battling a, we want you to, to live this ideal, but yet you don't seem really interested in it. So we're going to let you, you know, we think it's, you know, you know, okay, well then just go play your horn, but you're going to have to do this at some point, you know? Um, And, 
I'm not saying that my parents weren't supportive of my music making because my parents were very, very supportive of it. And, and I wouldn't be, you know, playing music probably if it weren't for the help that, that my parents gave me. I mean, you know, they really, and even still my mom helps me out with, you know, with things. Um, and it's just, you know, it's that, that part of it, you know, is really important. So um, I'll say too that because the other consumer organizations ideals about blindness are so, um, shall we say rigid for lack of a better word? I, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, I, I think that, that, you know, I was viewed, it was never an open thing, but the fact that I wanted to do music, the fact that I was, you know, into jazz and, you know, it was, it was very taboo, you know, like it was a, it was kind of a stereotype, like, oh, this, you know, this blind person, you know, like you should be like a, a scientist or they were really pushing science is really hard. They were pushing, uh, going into uh, orientation and mobility uh, instruction of, of teachers of blind students, TDI kind of things. Uh, that was a big thing they were pushing. And um, a lot of the, the people that were going to the centers, a lot of them were just caught in this bubble where they were just basically trying to live their training even after the training ended. And they were just you know, throwing themselves into, um, you know, the, the orientation and mobility, uh, master's program at Louisiana tech university. And, and it was like, okay, like you, you guys don't even know who you are. How do you think you're going to help other people when you don't even know who you are? And that was what I noticed from a very early age. And that was a question I wanted to ask you, is there much, um, exploration of who the person is as an individual you know you're at the training sessions because you need life skills but are are, you know are they helping to find out you know what's inside each individual person what they would be good at what they want to do or is it that cookie cutter feel that a lot of us think it is hey you can go into it you can go into you know tech you can go into like you said mobility um or other blindness related services yeah, I think it's more, I think it's more that, um, you know, I, I, I know that there were people that went through um, Louisiana who were talked out of, of, you know, doing things they wanted to do. Um, I don't know who, like, you know, all the details and things like that. My mom, for instance, was openly harassed by a staff member um, for me wanting to pursue music. Um on on multiple occasions um which you know my mom was very you know not okay not okay with that um so i i do and and i think you know in colorado um (laughs) i don't think a lot of people really respected the fact that i wanted to go into music either at least that was the feeling i got if if that's not true then you know if somebody from there listening to this then you feel free to correct me on that but but um i i think it's it's and it's not a very like always it's not a very open thing per se but i think i think that it's kind of an under the table like you know it's there if that if that makes any sense at all you know you you mentioned a few minutes earlier conventions and state conventions you know being in the the training center with you with your parents so was there an all ears on me kind of feeling like, you know, like, oh, my God, you must be the best traveler. Both your parents work for the centers like, you know, you must have absolutely amazing clean skills kind of thing. Um, 
if there was, I, 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 I tried so hard to block so much of it out, even though I was kind of forced to be at these events, you know, I, I, uh, I tried really hard to block it out. Um, but I think that there was definitely a, um, a sentiment that I was to be, I was to become a, um, a leader in the organization. I was to become a, uh, and not really so much from my parents, I would say, but definitely from other people around me. I was actually forced in high school, I was forced to serve on the um, Louisiana Association of Blind Students board. Um, th- there, were, there was one day where they were just like, they, a bunch of people ganged up on me and was like, they were like, um, you know, you're going to do this. And, and, and I was like, I don't want to. And they're like, you're going to. And I was just like, they voted me in really quick without like, I never even ran, you know, like I never, you know, I never let anyone know I was running. Um, so, which is funny, I met my future wife there. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, 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 I feel bad about a little bit about it now, but I, I let her have an earful. I was like, you know, I, these people just for, are forcing me to do things I don't want to do. I don't really want to be here. Like, I don't even like this. Like, it was pretty, uh, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Um, but it, it, it was, it was what it was. And, and I think that people, you know, they, they definitely, you know, were kind of like, you know, why isn't Wayne becoming this next great leader? Like he grew up with parents who really believed in the, in the mission and the cause of the organization. Um, you know, why, why is he going a different way? You know? So I want to shift the conversation. Certainly. Uh, how about faith and, and um, religion? Did that play much of a part in your life? um pre going to the center well i was actually um i actually um uh when i was a kid i was um for part of my growing up i was involved with the uh, lds the church of latter-day saints and um my parents got involved too i actually got involved before them which was weird um but like you you group kind of thing yeah no it was like uh, the 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 missionaries came you know missionaries were proselyting and they they came over and I got curious and and you know I ended up joining and then or you know getting really interested and I guess my parents had had you know had you know a discussion at one point and you know whatever if he wants to find his own religion you know then that's that's cool then you know we're, we're going to let him you know explore this kind of thing on his own and then my parents ended up you know getting converted too so then we were all you know we were all in the church for a while and um so that that i think you know i think that was just you know you're asking me like what what that kind of a role that played well I guess looking back on it now I feel like maybe what it what it did was it was another um stream of uh another stream of do's and don'ts you know another stream of ideals you need to live this way you need to do this like you know don't drink don't don't do you know don't use profanity don't you know you know all the things um so I think that together, you know, coupled with, with 
um, the other, you know, with what we were talking about previously, that that uh, there were two streams of ideals happening at the same time. Um, and so I feel now looking back on it that maybe that was, you know, a contributing factor for me not figuring out who I was, you know, later um, or, or, or sorry, earlier. Hopefully that so, makes hopefully that makes sense. So talk us through, you know, the decision to go to the Colorado Center, you know, maybe the last couple of months of, of high school and what, what you were thinking and feeling about what that experience would be for you. Well, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remember, you know, exactly how I felt. Um, I just, what I can say is that, that, you know, my parents were basically like, you know, you never really wanted to learn these skills at home, you know, all of these, all of these blindness skills at, at home. So, you know, we really think that the best thing you can do before you go to college is go to a center. And I was sort of like, you know, I don't really want to, like, I would rather just go to school and, 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 you know, cause I don't even think I knew what I needed. If that, if that, if that makes any sense, like I was just so inundated with, with information and, and just um, with the same rhetoric that I just don't really think I could even, even pick out you know, what, what works for me or, or what do I think that I need in this particular moment, you know? Um, so I felt like I was forced to go do this. Um, I mean, I, I, I probably, you know, if I had fought hard enough, I'm sure I could have gotten out of it, but I, I didn't feel like I had much of a choice, um, but to go to a center and they, they put a lot of pressure on me and, you know, they, but they tried to make it positive. You know, they sort of led me towards it. They were like, well, why don't you go to the, you know, we can, you know, you can go to national with us, of course. And then, you know, um, why don't you go to one of the, you know, open houses one or a couple of open houses for the different centers and see, because my parents didn't want me to get the skills from Louisiana because I already knew everybody. So they were like, we, you should go to one of these other places. And so I did. And, um, you know, it was, I went to Minnesota and Minnesota's, um, I guess their open house back in the, this, this is 2005, just so everyone, everyone is aware. So this is many, many moons ago. Um, their, their, their open house was, I mean, it was okay. It was, it was kind of, you know, there wasn't, you know, a whole lot to it. There wasn't, I mean, there were a few people there, but it didn't seem like it was very active. So I went to Colorado and it was just like this big party. Like everybody was like running around and, and talking to people like, Hey, how's it going? You know, we're so glad that you're here. And, and, um, this, uh, this guy, you know, I got to meet this one particular guy who was a cane travel instructor and we hit it off right away and, and we just sort of started talking and, you know, we just, I don't know, we just sort of clicked. So I think that, you know, I largely went to the Colorado center because of the, the open house. It was like more fun. It was like louder. It was like, you know, I met this guy, he was really nice. Um, I felt like, okay, well maybe I can, maybe I can get some good skills from here and, and, you know, feel, cause I admittedly, I wasn't a really good 
I was okay, but I wasn't a very confident cane traveler. Um, I needed, I needed more, I needed more confidence in in that area. So, and I knew I was already, I knew I was going to come to Boston and go to Berkeley. So I thought, well, if I go through this program, you know, maybe I will, but uh, you know, maybe I'll get more, you know, confidence and stuff like that. But I still think, you know, well, I know that, you know, my whole heart wasn't in it and I had not fully made the decision on my own to attend one of these programs. Um, so that's, that's, that's how I chose, that's how I chose the center. And I told my parents that I would, you know, I would be going to Colorado and they, you know, started working on getting my rehab situation all cleared up, all set up and, 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 you know, ready for me to, to go do that. And so I uh, started attending the, the, the Colorado center for the blind in January of, of 2006. What were those first few weeks like? Um, really hard, <laughs> really, really hard. Um, so, so it was, it wasn't a party in the apartment every night. <laughs> no, 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 it was, it was, it was not. Um, I kind of, you know, walked into a, um, I don't know, like, I don't know how else to describe this. I, I, I sort of, jumped myself into a pool of, of, of just drama. Um, I don't really know how to better describe it to you. Um, my roommate, um, at the center, he, his, his girlfriend was living with him, which they were not supposed to do that. So they were breaking the rules. Um, of course I was just sort of like, you know, whatever, like blah, blah, blah. They were like, they were making fun of staff members. Um, they were, they're like, Oh, you'll figure this out about this instructor. Oh, you know, this, this guy's like this, or this guy's like this, this girl is like that, you know, just, uh, you know, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of gossip going around. Um, I remember, uh, distinctly, um, not being able to figure out my way from the bus stop through this really massive apartment complex to get, um, to my apartment and a couple months into it, I was still struggling with it. And I heard from someone else that my roommate's girlfriend was making fun of me about it. And she was saying things like I was retarded and like, how could I not have figured this out by now? And all this stuff. And that was really, you know, it was like really hurtful. Um, the staff would talk bad about students behind their backs the students would talk bad about staff behind their backs. There was, um, I remember one person in particular, um, a computer instructor um, at the time, uh, telling me uh, that, that um, they were gonna celebrate, they were gonna have this big party because this one student who was really horrible was leaving. And at the time I was, you know, just 19 and I was just like, oh, ha, 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 that's funny. Like, oh yeah, she must've been bad. Right. But looking back on it much later, I was like, whoa, like I should have never known that. Like I should have, if you guys are going to do that, like, don't talk to me about it. Like I'm a student, you know, like, wow. Um, so there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that going on. Um, just, you know, and, and, and from the, the travel end of it, um, there was definitely, there wasn't a sentiment of like, oh, if you're really uncomfortable with this, um, 
you know, let's, let's do this. You know, we're, we're going to get to it, but you know, we'll, we'll work harder to get you, you know, you know, to where you're ready for this, you know, a little later in your training or something like that. Now, I remember about three months, less than three months in, we were crossing, um, and I didn't have to do it by myself yet, but as a group, well, two or three students and an instructor, we were having to cross eight lane roads with a turn island in the middle um, with, you know, traffic going every which way. And, and it was just, it was insane. And like, no, not even like parallel traffic either, like just this, you know, big highway. And it was, it was sort of like the, the sentiment was like, you know, you'll, you'll, this is how you be independent, you know, like you, you can do a passage. Yeah. 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 Like you, if you do this, like you, you can do anything, you know, and some people were, were like, see, look at me, I did this and, and I'm, I'm tough because I crossed this street or whatever. And I was just like on the border of like freaking out. Like I just didn't do very well under all that pressure. And, and honestly, like, even still, like there are plenty of roads where I'm just like, oh no, like no way. And, and the thing was, is that, you know, we were the only, (laughs) we were the only people crossing these streets. You know, there were not other pedestrians around. No, 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 no. Like we were the only ones, we were the only people out there crossing these roads. Like, you know, and I remember talking about one intersection in particular to a um, to a, a sighted person uh, in Colorado because I was in a community band there. I got I got hooked up with a, a community concert band there while, while I was a student. And he was like, man, he was like, I can't believe, you know, they would make you cross this. He was like he was like um, there was a, a, a news story that came out in the the paper some weeks ago where uh, a, a sighted person got killed trying to cross this intersection so you should not be out there you know but you couldn't tell that to um the travel teachers they'd belittle you if you didn't if you didn't measure up you know um so that was part of the game you know do, doing the impossible to achieve independence and that i think that's true at all the centers at all the training centers what about friendships did you feel like you had you know peer support or you know what what was you know what was your social um structure there well i mean i think i had friends um i definitely had friends but i think a lot of that was because i'm just good at getting along with people for the most part like i'm i'm just good at making friends and chatting to people about whatever there was a there was a there was a guy that you know i made you know pretty good friends with who you know you know had played some drums in high school and we we you know spent a lot of time together um trying to escape my roommate and his girlfriend or you know something like that or or you know we would you know hang around down in downtown denver's group or whatever so i I think there was you know there were there were friendships but i think that you know, none of those friendships, you know, lasted after I, you know, left center. I think it was mostly, I would say it was friendship based on, you know, the circumstance. Um, if that, does that make sense? Like, um, you know, friendship, because, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm here with all these people. So I better make friends with, with somebody, 
you know, and I guess, you know, I was still going to church sometimes while I was out there. And so I had some church friends. Um, of course, I made uh, friends with, um, you know, the people in the community band. And um, I also, um, there was a blind musician that they hooked me up with who had graduated from there uh, a few years before I did. And um, we ended up hanging out together. We even played a gig together. And, you know, he taught me a lot of tunes and actually musically grew a lot from him. And, um, and you know, still, I, he's, he's, I, he's definitely part of the reason why I got into Berkeley, for sure. Um, I, I definitely grew a lot under his, under his mentorship. So there was, there was some of that. There was definitely some of that. So <clears throat> this guy that you met at the open house, he yes. ended up becoming your primary mobility instructor, right? Right. And there was a friendship that, that developed before you got there and, and continued on. When you look back, when you look back on it now, what's, you know, what's, what's the, the, the overall feel of, of the beginning of getting to know him? I mean, the beginning was just very, um, you know, just very ordinary. I mean, you know, the guy was funny. He made, cracked a lot of jokes. Um, my roommate and he was, he was one of these people. He was everyone's favorite. He was everybody. He was everybody's favorite. Um, you know, he had the charisma. He, you know, he, he was definitely like always cracking jokes. Um, his, his, his wife was, was, um, pregnant with their second child. And I remember him joking to, um, you know, I was in the office, you know, uh, he was joking to me and my roommate and his girlfriend about, about how he was the one craving pickles at 3am and not his, not his wife, like, you know, just funny jokes like that. Um, he, he was always like willing to laugh and, you know, have a good time. Um, you know, just to be clear, I didn't, after the open house, I had no contact with any of the staff members um, other than the, the executive director um, before I attended the, the program. So it wasn't like we, you know, we weren't um, friends before, you know, before I got there. Um, I think he tried to, he didn't understand a lot of the music I was into, but I think he tried to like, you know, kind of listen and, and, and get to know some of the stuff that I was into, um, where there was another travel instructor who was a musician who I really tried to make an effort to talk about music to, and he just wouldn't have any of it. Like, he was so rude and, like, would never, like, you know, never, you know, then music was, of course, the thing that, you know, made me feel grounded and made me feel like I was, you know, I was secure and, and everything. And he just would never even talk to me about it. Um, so that was really strange. And I still, to this day, can't figure that one out. Um, so, you know, I think it was honestly looking back on it, it was pretty ordinary, our, our, our friendship and our, you know, the relationship that we had, um, as, as friends before, before, um, you know, what we're about to talk about. When, when did things start to change? Um, it would have been in, 
it would have been in July of 2006 at the um, National uh, Convention of you know, you all from the school went as a group, right? Sorry, I said, and, and most of you from the school went as a group, right? To all the of national us. convention. All oh, of yeah. us. If you were a student, how it works? If you're, I should have mentioned this earlier, I guess. If you're a student at a tra- at a, at a, at, a, at a training center from this organization, if you are there, if it works out that that you're there for a convention, you are going. Like no questions asked, you are going. Now, of course, they they you know they pay for your room and they pay for your um, for your plane ticket or your bus travel or whatever. But you are going. You are. Are you going. excited to go after years and years and years of convention? But this time, no. you know, sort of on your own. Not no? not particularly. Not particularly. I mean, I still had to go to general sessions. Um, you know. It was sort of, but I mean, I was required to sit with uh, the Colorado affiliate rather than the Louisiana affiliate where my parents would have been, but I wasn't, I mean, there were people there, of course, that, you know, I mostly, you know, was excited to catch up with family because I knew all my, you know, my, my parents and, and um, (laughs) my, you know, godparents and things like that would be there. So I, 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 of course, you know, was looking forward to, you know, that and, um, you know, it was, it was cool, you know, back in the day to, you know, go to the exhibit hall and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But as far as the meetings, you know, that sort of thing was concerned, I wasn't really excited about that. I mean, I'd been through so many years of the same thing. I mean, you got to remember that I was going to national conventions when I was like four and five years old. So I pretty well knew the drill. Um, so yeah, um, I wasn't super excited. So what, what started to happen to make you realize that something, you know, that things had changed and that's, that's, you said you, um, you started in January. So you're, you're about six months in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was really kind of out of nowhere. Honestly, it took me by surprise. I had no, um, I had no warning I had no warning that, that, that things were going to start happening. Um, there was not really, not that I could sense, there was not really a gradual buildup or, or, you know, anything. It was one, and I, I really can't, I wish this is the only part of the whole story. I can't remember. Um, I ended up rooming with the, the travel instructor in question. And I don't know why, if that was because, he asked the the director to put us together or if it just ended up that 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 when they you know paired people off that that you know because everybody was supposed to have a roommate so i don't know if he asked her to room with me or if it was just sort of that was just the way the cards fell um were there a lot of instructors rooming with students that's what i can't remember I, I, hmm. I, and I mean, I would like to think not, you know, but I really, I, that's the, that's what I can't remember. Um, knowing, that knowing point, this place, there probably were, I mean, I wouldn't be a bit surprised, um, but I can't remember. Up to um, that point, had you heard um, any other uh, inappropriate, you know, were instructors routinely I, I don't I don't know what to call it dating or or you know playing up students you, you know was there a lot of 
co-mingling, I guess you could say? Um, I don't honestly think that I had heard about that, you know, up to that point. I think if that was going on, it was, it was more, it was more out in the open. Uh, sorry, sorry uh, in secret. I think it was, I mean, there, there probably, you know, who knows, there could have been gossip that I missed out on, you know, cause I mean, you can't hear every, you just can't hear everything, but I found out, I found out later, of course, you know, much, much, much later <laughs> as of, you know, a few months ago that there was all kinds of things going on that I had no idea about. Um, I do think there was one instance I heard about, like maybe shortly after I left that, that there was a substitute, you know, Braille teacher who was, you know, very young, who, who ended up getting impregnated by one of the students. Um, I don't know how true that rumor is. Um, so I would, I would hate to validate, you know, completely say, oh, this was fact because I, I was gone by that point. But, um, yeah, the inappropriate things that I noticed at, up, up until the point that we're talking about now is, it's just a lot of the, you know, the, the kind of bullying from the instructors, um, a lot of the, you know, talking behind people's backs, um, you know, students talking about staff, staff talking about students, you know, that the sort of the things that I told you about earlier. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to, I want to be clear. Um, this is your story and, and I want you to, you know, feel comfortable with your level of sharing. Um, but you know, we're at the thick of it now. So if, if, if I yeah, ask yeah, anything or, you know, if, if we want to change a subject, you know, please, I, I just, I want you to be comfortable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I've got you. I understand. So in, you know, in your, in your own words, here you are at the convention and you're rooming with an instructor and it starts to get weird, you know, with as much, um, you know, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, how did it start to get weird? Well, it was really, like I say, it was very much out of nowhere. It was on a Wednesday, I remember. And um, I remember his parents coming to the room because, you know, they were both involved with the organization too. His, his dad was at the time, I believe, uh, the president of the affiliate in Maine. And um, so he, that's where he was from originally was Maine. And so um I was, you know, just being myself, just being crazy, like cracking up and, you know, making a lot of jokes and, you know, making fun of people and, you know, just, just doing whatever I, you know, just doing whatever I did. And everybody, everybody laughed and, you know, they, they thought it was, they thought it was funny. And, and so I just remember them leaving. And then I remember him, um, you know, telling me to take my clothes off and, I was like, you know, he kind of got close when he said that, you know, and I didn't know I was like freaked out sort of, but I, I was just so sheltered, you know, like I had not had any sort of sexual experience at all. I was still, you know, I was an adult, but I was a kid. If that, if that makes any sense. Um, so I thought, oh, haha, like, you know, he's going to get back at me for telling me, you know, for me cracking up, 
you know, and uh, making a, make, you know, uh, making fun of him to his parents or, you know, like he's, he's gonna, we're probably gonna have a pillow fight or something like that. You know, I just, I just had no idea. And then, you know, he, you know, I took my clothes off and, and, and because I just was like, you know, okay, whatever. And, you know, he, uh, you know, bent me over his, his leg and started um, softly uh, spanking my bottom and, you know, touching me inappropriately in, 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 you know, my, you know, private areas and, you know, things like this. And, and, you know, it was very weird because it felt, it felt really good, but I was also like, what is going on? I don't know why you're doing this. Like, what, what are you doing? You know? And then like, we, uh, like he, got me into bed with him and you know he started um he he started i think he started masturbating that night you know it was basically you know telling me that you know i always knew you were i always knew you were gay like i always knew that 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 you were this way and and you know i just knew this about you and and you know uh he was basically like, you know, you have to keep this part of yourself a secret. Um, you know, people will, people will judge you for, for feeling the way you do. We used to be beaten and stoned and persecuted and, you know, just like this kind of myriad of, of, of things like as, as to why I shouldn't, you know, why I shouldn't talk about it. Um, so, and of course I was very, um, you know, I was very erect at that point. Um, you know, it, I was, it was confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Like physically it was, it was, it was amazing. Mentally it was not amazing. It was anything from anything from that. And um, certainly had never- you, had you questioned before him, had you questioned your own sexuality at all? before interacting with him i don't know i i i i don't really think that i had much um there were of course you know guys that i felt i think that maybe i felt close to but i didn't maybe necessarily know exactly uh, what you were feeling yeah i don't know if, does that make sense like uh you know and i yeah. had a i had a i had a long distance relationship going on with a girl at the, at the time. And well, not, uh, we had broken up by the time I went to Colorado, but, um, I had been in a long distance relationship with a, with another blind, um, blind girl at the, that started in seventh grade and kind of went through high school, most of my high school. Um, so I didn't really explore, um, you know, dating and the church of course put so much emphasis on, you know, getting married and, um, you know, all of that stuff. And so I just sort of was like, well, this is what I need to do. I need to find this person that I care about and get married to them and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, it was kind of a, I guess, looking back on it now, maybe it seemed kind of like a fairy tale, you know? Um, so back, you know, to the, to the rest of the rest of the week. So, you know, things kind of kept going on, um, you know, more, there was more, uh, you know, I would go to sessions, you know, of course, during the daytime, there was more uh, playing around at night between the two of us. I remember, you know, uh, after the banquet, 
their big banquet on Saturday, you know, I, um, you know, took my clothes off and, you know, we were in the room together and, and, you know, things started happening again between us and, and, you know, I was kind of getting into it. Like I was kind of, you know, I was really enjoying it by this point and, and <clears throat> thought that this is what I needed to be doing. And, um, you know, I remember him ordering a pizza that night and, you know, us eating together in our underwear and, you know, him, you know, doing more stuff to me, you know, in the bed and, and, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, um, stop me if you have questions. Um, but, you know, after, after convention, you know, I told my mom that I thought that I was, you know, I was so shell-shocked and so confused. I told my mom that I thought I was in love with this guy. And, you know, my mom was basically like, I, she was basically just like, well, you know, are, are, are you sure this is, you know, is this a romantic thing or, you know, what, what's, you know, what's going on? And, and, and so I, I think that, you know, I just didn't tell her everything because I thought that I guess I thought that I was supposed to feel this way and that it was really it was really love and that it was like like you know maybe he really cared about me or something like that you know um so I you know I don't know I, I guess my mom didn't think to you know say like oh you know this is very inappropriate like you need to you know we need to get you away from this situation or um, that sort of thing. I, I think she later told me that she was afraid that if she had done that, that I would have, you know, really, you know, resented like her for scars. Yeah. removing, removing me from the situation. Um, so things, uh, you know, sort of continued. Um, well, I want to ask you um, before we, we go back to Colorado, yeah. what if anything did he say about his wife? Oh, uh, well, I mean, he, I remember sometimes whenever we were, you know, doing things together, I mean, he would, I remember, you know, one time, well, this is much later when I sort of, um, tried to disengage, but then ended up re-engaging. Um, he, I remember him telling me that, you know, like, uh, that his, his, his wife, you know, one, 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 uh, night that they'd had really good, they'd had really good sex or something like that. Um, a different time, I remember him, you know, saying that his wife always knew that, you know, his wife knew that he was gay, but that he could, he could, you know, he could do things with other men if he wanted to, as long as, as long as, you know, they didn't bring home any diseases or, you know, like he didn't get sick or whatever. So she was like clearly okay with him living this double. He was cool with, she was cool with him living this double life. Does that, you know, does that make right. sense? And it was very weird because anytime we were doing things together, he still had his wedding ring on his finger. And I thought that was really messed up. You know, I was like, especially because I was still, you know, more religious at the time. I was like, you, you, you're wearing this like promise you made to this person, the symbol of this promise. And then now you're doing things, 
with me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel about this. Other than, you know, the, the persecution side of things, the, the, you know, the reasons for, for keeping it hidden. Did he try to talk to you about your feelings? Did, did he tell you he had feelings for you? Um, so I remember, um, well, a couple of things. I remember that, um, when I told my mom, I remember letting him know that, you know, I told my mom that, you know, we were in love or something. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember, you know, him, uh, taking me out for coffee during a travel lesson and basically saying, um, basically saying, um, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't let your mom know like what we're doing. You know, this is, I could lose my job over this, you know, like we really shouldn't be, you know, doing this anyway, but, 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 you know, I, I but, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's kind of like that. I don't remember word for where every single thing, but, but that was, that was something that, that was said. And, and, um, um, I remember um, later on, you know, at another point where he was, you know, basically like, you know, you're a very, you're a very sweet person and you deserve to be loved and you deserve to be cherished by somebody and you'll find that person and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, while we were, you know, while we were doing things together and, you know, at the, at the, at the end of my training, I remember him telling me, you know, I, 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 you know, um, I'll always be the black sheep in your family, but, you know, I, 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 you know, wanted, you know, I, you know, wanted you to find out about yourself or something to that effect. Um, I remember doing you a favor. I guess I, I didn't really know what to, I didn't really know what to make of it, you know? Um, I was just trying to get out of there, um, because I felt like I really needed to get out and I was really out of control and we'll get to, we'll get to that in a second because I've got some things I want to say about that. Um, so, and I was like, I remember once saying like, I don't know really why I feel this way, but I do. And. I think he said, well, you know, it could be just a phase, like you could just be exploring, um, you know, maybe you, maybe, you know, later, maybe you'll decide that this is not what you want or, you know, whatever. Um, so there was definitely, there was definitely some of that, but I remember before Anthony, when you asked about, um, you know, grooming and, and, and things, things of that nature, I want to quickly say that I had a little bit of a chance to reflect on some of this. And I think a lot of the work was already done for him, honestly. Um, you know, I looked up to him and, and so did everyone else because he was a confident cane travel instructor. He could literally go anywhere. He could literally go anywhere and didn't ever seem to bat an eye over doing anything, you know? And so you know, I think I felt a sense of closeness to him and respect because one, he was, you know, you know, kind of laughing at things I did or, or, 
you know, make, make, you know, making fun along with me or, you know, whatever, but he was also this really confident traveler. And, and of course that was the ideal was to be, you know, confident and, and not feel like anything could get in your way or, you know, that sort of thing. So, so I, you know, of course, because of conditioning and, and, and philosophy and, and that sort of thing, you know, I gravitated towards that because what are you going to do when you're programmed, right? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to gravitate towards that. So I think a lot of that work was already done. I think a lot of that was already done. And I think, I think that led, that was that the door was already open for him. Does that make sense to you? Like the door was already, was, was already open. Um, Because I had already, he was already endeared by me because of the image of what he could do, you know? He was the guy and he was that guy. And you were basically, for lack of a better way of putting it, right for the picking. Right. Sort of. Right. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a superstorm of of events. Um, You know, you you mentioned a few minutes ago that you tried to disengage and ended up having or ended up reengaging. What was it like when you tried to disengage? Well, I, I said, you know, I, I said, you know, I really don't think we should do this anymore. Um, I, I, I'm feeling pretty, pretty uncomfortable with this. Um, this is really not, this, this is really not appropriate. We, re- we really should stop doing this. I, I, I don't feel right about it. And he was like, okay. And I remember, um, you know, being in, in, in his office and he would, he would give me a hug and he would say, is that too much? Or he, I remember one time he picked me up off the ground and put me back down on my feet. Like, is that too much? You know, that kind of thing. Um, I remember, you know, this was around the time I was starting to get hooked up with this community band. And I remember that there was a, you know, uh, an alto saxophonist who would pick me up for rehearsals. And uh, this was around, you know, um, you know, it would have been after school, right? It would have been after the, you know, after the day was done. And I remember, you know, him uh, picking me up at the center because he was going past there anyway. And I remember one time this particular instructor said, you know, I know you're getting picked up by this guy, but, you know, you really should, you know, you should walk to this rehearsal. It's only about five, 10 minute walk from here. Like, you know, you're not, you're not practicing your skills. And, and another time he was like, telling me that he was jealous of the time that I spent with this other guy because, you know, he thought that he looked better than he did and um, that sort of thing. Um, so there was, there was some of that too. And of course, you know, getting rides to gigs for, you know, or, and slash or rehearsals is a very valuable skill that I needed have, you know, have had to use ever since, you know, in the real world. So it doesn't really matter that it was, it doesn't really matter that it was close to the center. What matters is that coordinating transportation for myself was also something I needed to practice for my real world life as a musician. So there was, there was, you know, even more of that, you know, sort of like you're not living the ideal through that. Um, uh, Yeah. What 
Oh, sorry. So I didn't finish the engagement part. I got sidetracked, Anthony. Can I finish that before you ask another question? Sure. Okay. Sorry about that. I just totally got sidetracked. Um, so he, so I remember that. And then I remember we went on a canoeing trip and, um, I remember we went on a canoeing trip and I was going to room with, I had a better, I had a roommate that I clicked with more and I was going to, uh, I was going to share a tent with him and his other friend who was like a super class clown. Like we all would get together and hang out super late at night and just, you know, be kids and, you know, screw around. Well, I was going to, I was going to, um, you know, be in a tent with him and this other guy and, and the travel instructor was basically, you know, on this trip was basically like, well, um, you know, I understand that, you know, I'm going to be in a tent by myself and I, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be nice if, you know, I had somebody to room with and, and, you know, somebody to share a tent with. And I said, oh, okay. And, and, and um, I was like, well, I think I'm going to, I'm going to room with, I'm going to, you know, shack up with these other guys. And he was like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. I understand that you need to hang out with more people your own age, but I'll be, I'll be sad to not spend time with you. And, and um, it was at that point. And I think, to be honest, Anthony, I had like sort of battled with like not going back, if that makes sense, like not going back to him. And um, so it was it was, uh, you know, it was that night after the, um, the canoeing trip or, you know, uh, the, the first part of it that I, you know, decided at the last minute, I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to, I'm gonna go, you know, share a tent with, with him and, you know, the instructor and, you know, cause maybe he will be lonely, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe he'd like to, maybe we should spend some time together. I don't know. It was a thing. And so, you know, I, I just was like, it was kind of like a drug, you know, like those, those, those hormones, those feelings, it's kind of like a drug, you know? And, and, and I remember like after dinner, like, you know, we snuck off to his tent uh, while they were all telling ghost stories and, you know, the tent flap closed and my clothes came off like quicker, quicker than lightning and, you know, things just were like really intense between us. Um, and, you know, there was a lot more of the same, you know, like a lot of inappropriate touching, a lot of, you know, just all of the, all of this, all of the stuff I had mentioned, we, I'll be clear and say that we never, we never actually had sex ever. Um, but I do remember him, you know, again, masturbating that night. And, you know, so we ended up, you know, sleeping together that night, you know, very, you know, cuddled up and, and, you know, we woke up the next morning and, you know, you know, so things, things just kind of kept going on. And from that point, um, I kind of wasn't able to, you know, really feel like I could, you know, fully get away from, from the situation until I graduated on that. Let me just say that, you know, I had finally worked up the courage to call my mom and say, Hey, you know, this is inappropriate. Um, I'm in this situation this is not okay. Um, he's doing things to me that I don't feel comfortable with. And I don't feel like I can control the situation. And my mom was basically, you know, basically said, well, you can, you know, you know, you can, you can come home now if you, if you want, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, I, I would totally understand if you feel like you should leave. And, um, but, you know, and of course, this is a very high school way of thinking, but I thought about everybody back home. And I thought about how, Why would, how would you explain it? Yeah, like, if I didn't graduate, yeah. I wouldn't have completed the training, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have measured up. I wouldn't have met those expectations. And um, I, I couldn't bring myself to leave because I knew that I was going to go back home to more of these people. There was nowhere to escape from the bubble. If that, if that makes any, you know, it makes sense. So I, I said I would finish because I, you know, was so worried about what people would think about me at home. And my mom didn't, you know, I don't remember if she said, are you sure? I don't think you should do this or tried to influence me one way or another. Um, and so I ended up staying and, you know, I'll be, I'll be very frank about this. I, you know, I didn't really, you know, I, I, yes, there were some things that I, I learned, but I really didn't learn a whole lot. And, and of course, because of all the association, I didn't, you know, practice a lot of blindness skills. You know, when I, when I left the center, I never really cooked in my apartment. Um, when I was a student there, I ordered out all the time. I, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't decide that I wanted to be there. And so, um, you know, you can't get, you can't learn from something that you are forced to do and that you've been told your whole life that this is this is something you you need to do and it, it's it's like going to church too much you know it's it, a child is not going to do well under that amount of pressure and um so i i just really didn't um i didn't get nearly as much out of the training as i you know could have had i been under a different um situation or mindset i think um so that's you know, so that's sort of, you know, I ended up staying um, in the program and, 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 you know, barely graduating by the skin of my teeth because I felt like I had to. So, you know, flashing forward to, to now, when, you know, when a lot of the stories started coming out, it, it brought back a lot of, of the you know, the inner feelings of, of this for you. Looking back on it now, are you okay? How, how has it affected you, you know, in, in your personal relationships, in your confidence? Um, I mean, obviously going to, you know, your own words, escaping to Boston was escaping from everything, the indoctrination, you know, all of it. But now, you know, years, years past, how do you feel? Well, I, I will say now that because this has come out um, and because people are actually able to file, you know, complaints about, you know, sexual abuse and misconduct, um, you know, with the organization that um, I, I, I definitely am so you know, eternally grateful that there is at least a platform for, you know, survivors like myself to make their voices heard and to let people know 
what's really going on behind closed doors in these places. And, you know, um, when I found out about it, um, I actually didn't even find out through, um, through, you know, any groups in that organization. It was through a, a friend of mine that I actually mentored in college who, um, she, she, she was a, a class, she is a classical trumpet player who went to another school. And, um, I, I, I mentored her because, you know, I found her actually at another convention through this organization because I went there and, and um, uh, on behalf of Berkeley to, um, you know, try to recruit more blind students to our assistive music technology program. So and anyway, we, we, we had a, 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 you know, a pretty big relationship and she had some um, situations happen with her family. And so she was a survivor, but just from a different angle. So she had been following a lot of this stuff on Facebook when it came out and she told me about it and she told me the person's name um, who was, you know, kind of organizing all of the survivor stories and getting them out. And so I went and found her and she had given her email address to email stories to. And I said, well, you know, this is going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot, but I'm going to do it because I need to, and I will regret it. I will regret this later if I don't do it. I know that I will regret it. And so I did. I remember it was December 23rd and I, it was right before Christmas. And I sat down. Um, I, I made it, I made it a big thing for myself. I, I, I went and got, you know, I had a bottle of wine. I took a really, you know, nice warm bath with, with, with some, with a bath bomb from Lush. And I just, I just made it like into a big thing. And, um, okay. you know, and I, I said, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to give my, this is going to be a ceremonial ritual and I'm going to take myself back to my office. I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to open my computer. I'm going to turn on some jazz that, that, you know, some of my favorite, favorite albums of all time. And I'm just going to sit down here and I'm going to write it. And that's what I did. And, you know, it's really funny, Anthony, because I would have never thought that the details of, of what happened to me in this situation would have come together so clearly. But I wrote it all in a span of about four hours. Um, I took a couple, you know, little breaks in between, but I sat there and typed it all out and, 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 it, and it flowed out of me in paragraph form everything like it was it was like it was it was funny man it was almost like it had been waiting your body had been waiting to release it yeah and 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 not only waiting but it was like it was like knocking at the door like already organized already ready to already ready for the world to to see it and to hear it and, and, and so I did. And, and I remember I sent it to, uh, you know, <laughs> to another friend, uh, Mr. Mr. Dwayne Estes, who has, you know, helped me, you know, immensely throughout the years. Um, and he, you know, you know, had me change a couple of, you know, sentences, you know, just, just like little grammatical things. But other than that, I mean, it was ready to go. And I, I, I sent it off to Stacy and, and, and um, sorry, I'm not sure if I should have mentioned her That's name, okay. but. That's okay. So uh, I sent it to her and, and she, um, you know, was like, Wayne, you know, I'm just shocked and horrified that this happened to you. And I'm not 
collecting stories for the Facebook group anymore, but I'm going to um, give you the contact information for the, 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 uh, the Omara Law Group who's handling the class action lawsuit case in Florida. And I'm going to you know, give, you, give you that information and you can pass it on to them. And I also want you to fill out the code of conduct complaint form on their website, on the you know, other organization's website. And so I did, I did, I did that and um, was contacted by, um, you know, one of the representatives from the, you know, the Colorado the board of the state affiliate and um, who I knew from, you know, conventions, but I'd never spoke to him and it was kind of surreal. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I knew this guy for years, but never really talked to him. So, okay, nice to meet you. And so we talked about everything and, you know, he was really sorry about what happened and, he actually knew the travel instructor in question. And he was like, you know, I'm going to, we're going to have to talk to him about this because, you know, he's a, he's a, um, he is a, you know, he's the assistant director of the whole program now. And um, so the travel instructor didn't duck the issue and, 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 and admitted to all of it because I forwarded the, the story along to, you know, the, the representative from the board and he resigned from what I understand, he, 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 you know, admitted that he did everything that he said that he did and he resigned. Um, so I guess getting to, you know, I feel so much better that, that, you know, and I think as far as confidence goes, I did go for, for years without really knowing, you know, you know, being really confused, um, being really ashamed that I was attracted to other men, um, you know, not wanting to, you know, talk about that sort of thing. I got married to, uh, a, you know, very, very nice, very nice lady who, you know, we're still together currently. Um, but, you know, and at the same time, you know, I was going through music school, dealing with these feelings and, and also my dad, was getting sick with Alzheimer's disease. So my confidence, you know, by 2011, 2012, you know, I think that I was merely just kind of, I mean, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't, you know, like down in the doldrums, like, oh, I'm going to kill myself or whatever like that, you know, but I was, I guess, functionally depressed. And I was just kind of, you know, going to school, going to work, you know, I had some incomplete, a couple incompletes that didn't resolve themselves for a couple of years. And, you know, I was, I took the very long track through school. I started in 2007, but didn't actually really get all of my done until 2014. Um, I was okay because I was working in the program for blind students at Berkeley. I wasn't really going anywhere, but it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with my dad. And then also, you know, Mr. Mr. Estes, you know, when I met up with him, he was the one who, you know, gave me the courage to, you know, one, you know, explore a little bit and two, um, you know, finally come out to my, my parents and, you know, or come out to my mom and, and, and my, my dad, um, and, uh, and, you know, also my, my wife. And, uh, so I did come out as gay in 2014, um, but still, you know, my dad was very ill and, you know, he didn't pass until 2017. And even after that, you know, it's been kind of a myriad of, of just sort of me not 
connecting with myself until, you know, the past few months when I could really get this story out. Um, but now things are really, uh, I really feel like things uh, are very much uh, turning around for me in, in a very positive way. Now we just got to kick the S out of the rest of this pandemic and, and then you can really get out yeah. in the world as, as who you are. Yeah. Um, so we're going we're gonna to transition um, in a few minutes to, to the next part of the show, but I, I wanted you to have the opportunity to anyone out there who is still living with their darkness and to anyone out there who have heard these stories but didn't necessarily you know, pay much attention or think that they were as bad as they are or whatever. I I just want to give you an open platform to to say whatever you want to say to folks out there. I really appreciate that, Anthony. And, um, you know, I want to tell, you know, other survivors, like, you know, this, if it's, you know, obviously, like, if you are uncomfortable, you know, telling your story, um, you have to, you know, it's, it's good to work on trying to see if you can get yourself to that place it's it's kind of like i mean much more painful than this of course but but as far as the diving in part it's kind of like getting a getting a bucket of cold water dumped on you you know it's like ah, like it's very it's very it's very shocking but once you get through that initial shock um it's it's it becomes much easier to talk about it and you know a strategy that I use, um, and now I, I was very open and, and shared, you know, very many details on this podcast with you guys here today. But when I've talked to news reporters um, about this situation, um, I have sent them the write-up that I sent to Stacy way back, you know, uh, well, not way back, but, you know, in January um, of this year. And so that's been, um, it, it makes those interviews go a little bit easier. Um, I think even if you have a therapist or a family member who you would like to share your story with and you don't necessarily want to sit down and talk with them, write it down, however you can get it out. And that way they can read it at their own pace. They can process it at their own pace. And it's, you don't, neither one of you have to be in an emotionally charged uh, situation. You guys can, you guys can both process what you're doing at your own pace. And I think, writing it down was such a helpful, um, was such a helpful tool for me. Um, I also want to let, you know, survivors know that, that coming forward with your story of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct from these training centers, it is the only way that we can really bring about change in our community. And I know, you know, maybe this sounds to you like, if you guys are listening, that maybe I'm, I'm trying to put pressure on you. I'm really not I just want you to understand that in order to bring about meaningful change in our community, in our society, we have to talk about the dark things sometimes. And we have to be willing to understand that what we're doing not only changes our situation, but it changes the situation for the rest of society around us. And so if you guys have any doubt in your in your mind, I'm always here you know there there's a i know that the organization has a survivor task force um you can reach out to them but but you know definitely reach out to me i i am only involved with this organization 
you know, around, well, not involved with them at all, but this is my only involvement here on out is to get my story out there and expose what's been going on behind closed doors. Um, I also want to, you know, I will also want to say very quickly that, that supporting these training centers until the organization, um, you know, really makes a strong commitment to fix their policies and, and amend the wrongs that, that, that have been covered up. Um, to support these training centers is, is, is wrong. And we need to be, we need to be very forthright in, in explaining to uh, potential uh, prospective students at these places the, the, the fact that they may not be safe going into these programs unless real change, cultural change is, is implemented. Very quickly, um, all of these instructors at these training centers were, were installed there based on the fact that they were popular in the organization. Um, you know, if you were, you know, really at, active in the affiliate and somebody noticed that you were a good, you know, uh, travel instructor or something like that, they might say, you know, we, you know, if you, if you had, if you had helped some yeah. people like get some travel skills, you know, we'd really love. It was organizational nepotism, basically. Yeah. And, you know, that yeah. was the same with my dad. My dad had a, had a cafeteria on Texas state property and luckily for the world and, you know, for the, for the Louisiana center and all that, um, my dad actually was a great teacher and loved working with people, but that was the same thing. Oh, you know, we think you're great at this. You know, you should, you should consider, you know, you know, being a cooking instructor here, not because these people were actually qualified or had a, a teaching certificate or anything like that. And there has been no training up until very recently around, I mean, there, well, I can't say no training, but training has been very limited in and supervision around issues of sexual misconduct and abuse have been, you know, sort of shoved under the rug, you know, for, for, for many, many years. And I was horrified when I sent my story to Stacy. I was horrified as I followed this over the past few months to find out that there were so many other issues at all of the centers, all the training centers, Louisiana has come under a lot of scrutiny and Louisiana was the first one, the first center to open. And there were a lot of cases that came out there. Um, on the one hand, it feels good to know that you're not alone in what you experienced and that there were, but it's more also people. horrifying. Yeah. But yeah, right. It's, it's yeah. also just like, what really this. Okay. So it's like this. Okay. To close yeah. this out. Um, yes. I want to ask a two a two prong question. Yes. Do you feel hopeful for you know for yourself going forward, whatever your path is going to be? Absolutely. And do you have hope that they're paying attention and and are going to do the right thing um, for their centers <laughs> and for for their poppy? And this is you know again this is your personal opinion, not yeah um, no of course and yeah you know yeah. You know, um, I do feel hopeful for myself. I very much do feel hopeful for myself. I feel like this is the hardest, single hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And I, 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 I you know, play, playing a, uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't have to get nervous about, I mean, you know, obviously we always have, you know, performance anxiety a little bit, you know, there's always some sort of, you know, 
something like that going on. But it's like, I don't have to get nervous about playing a jazz gig because I've done the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life so far, which is come forward with this story and, and, and get it out into the world. The second, you know, and I think that's going to set me up for, you know, you know, hopefully, you know, set me up for success in a lot of areas in my, in my life. And, and I feel, I feel the change. I feel the rewiring of my brain. I'm meditating. I'm doing a lot of things like that. Um, in addition to, you know, just trying to have a positive outlook and share the story and all that. The second part of your question, I'm not necessarily hopeful that, that, that the organization will change. I do know that there has been a lot of smoke being blown by members of the national board. Um, there was a, there was actually like quite a, what I thought was a very disturbing email uh, distributed to a leadership list um, that was also posted on Facebook by one of the national board members. And I have a copy of it. If anybody wants to read it, let me know. I'll send it to you. Um, and I, I think that, that there's a lot of disingenuous um, things around this. Um, a lot of people have been calling on the directors of these centers to resign. And I support that, of course. But what I will say is I don't, because of the systemic cultural issue in the organization, I don't trust that if the directors of these centers were to resign, I don't trust that they would be responsible enough to install the right people to lead these centers and really create a safer, you know, environment that is not just the status quo. And we absolutely do not need the status quo right now. Well, Wayne, um, I, I, your bravery, um, I, I'm so thankful that I can hear in you that you yourself have survived and will, and will live going forward. Um, if folks want to reach out to Wayne, they can reach out to Sunday Edition at the email at the end of the show, quickly at celebrationac at AOL.com. And I can forward any comments, questions that you may have um, to Wayne and, and, and you guys can connect offline if anybody would like to reach out to him. Um, Wayne, thank you for trusting Sunday Edition to, to talk about your 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 experiences and um you know I, I welcome you back anytime if there's movement in this and and there's more that needs to be said absolutely anthony very quickly um i also wanted to t let people know if you are a survivor of of this type of thing and you are looking for some music to help help heal your your soul and your your spirit through through this time there is a, a a concert that I did dedicated to survivors in in um, March or sorry April, and it's on my YouTube channel. Um, you can look me up by name Wayne Piercy W A Y N E P E A R C Y, and it's a it's a mixture of jazz and classical um, classical uh, repertoire and 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 uh, a couple of original jazz tunes. Uh, aimed at giving survivors that strength and that courage to heal themselves and come forward with their story and feel comfortable about knowing that there is a community that that you can lean on when when you need that. There's Absolutely. you're never alone. No one is ever alone. In the words of Stephen Sondheim, no one yes. is alone. 
you're pretty awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to speak soon. Um, yes. Byron, I am not going to jump into the promo. I am going to go straight to Miss Cheryl coming. Cheryl, thank you for patiently waiting. Welcome back to Sunday edition. Oh, um, thank you. This this has been such a moving uh, story to hear, and I'm I'm so uh, it's just it's just um, heartening, you know, that Wayne has the courage to come forward and to share his story. So thank you, thank Wayne. You. Thank you. And you guys are a couple of stones throw from each other. So maybe someday when uh, Wayne has a gig. Uh, you can uh, go out and uh, support a little bit and, and maybe have a cocktail or two together. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I'd love that. Uh, that would be fun. I, I've seen Wayne at uh, the Museum of Fine Arts and the Museum of Science. And uh, yeah, so I'd awesome. love to. That'd be great. Awesome. Well, Cheryl, welcome back to Sunday Edition. And I am so proud to call you a friend. Um, and I'm I'm so proud of of being able to be the first ACB um, show to, to, to have you with your transitional status. Um, so talk to the folks. You are going to be leading the MCAC committee going forward, as well as taking a role with the BOP. What's, um, what's it been like the last couple of weeks? <laughs> Digesting <laughs> all of that. <laughs> uh... It has been, um, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's scary. Um, I try not to sit down and think too closely about all the commitments I've just made. Um, but I am, you know, just really excited to have the opportunity to, to contribute to the work of ACB. Um, so ultimately, it's exciting. Nice. What, um, you know, I know you, you just said you're not making too many plans, but what are some of the things you want to, to work on coming out of the gate? Well, uh, I've, I've been fortunate in the sense that I've been part of MCAC for a little while. Um, and so there's some things that we've done that I am looking forward to continuing. Um, one of them being you know, every year we've selected, I think, two or three books to read, and then we have um, discussions about those, and I definitely am planning to continue that. Um, we have previously talked about and did this year um, have um, a, a month of the Braille Forum where we um, submitted articles that sort of introduced well, the, it was uh, dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we'd like to definitely like to to continue that. Um, and I think one of the things that that we we've done that sort of ends up being around convention, but I'm hoping maybe we can do it throughout the year. Is you know we ended up, we end up sort of partnering with other ACB um, committees and affiliates to put put on certain um, activities that incorporate issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I think with the community calls that are ongoing, it would be nice if we, we don't wait just until convention, but if we sort of incorporate that into the, you know, the, the year. Um, and another project that has been really important to MCAC and I know I've heard other groups sort of talk about it is uh, setting up a mentoring program. Um, 
And so um, I hope and look forward to maybe finding the, uh, you know, uh, connecting up with the other groups that are interested in that same topic to figure out like, how do we make it a reality? Um, you know, how do we use mentoring as a, and, and sort of an intentional mentorship? How do we use that as a way to recruit and to retain members and to, inter, you know, bring people of all diverse backgrounds into ACB and then into um, leadership roles? So I've heard chatter um, and I've seen some of the calls on the list. There's a subcommittee for um, Latino, Latinx, um, whatever Latin identifying. Um, but I've heard chatter that you guys are thinking about doing another subcommittee for AAPI and, and um, indigenous folks as well. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to happen during this first year. Um, I think uh, one of the things, I mean, absolutely not against those ideas, but I think what we'd really like to do is, you know, uh, to some extent, we haven't really implemented the uh, subcommittee for the Latino slash Latinx uh, community as yet. And I think it's important that we do sort of figure it out and implement it. And then um, my preference would be that we take a few, you know, basically do a pilot. Let's see how it works and let's figure out how, how we want it to be structured and then go ahead and create other subcommittees. Take the strengths from that and move yeah. forward. Yeah. So. Um, if folks are interested in the um, in the subcommittee and, and some of the calls and things, where can they go to get information? The, the Latino Latinx subcommittee? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say, as I said, it hasn't really, uh, let me try, let me start again. The, the membership of the committee itself, I don't believe has really been formally instituted. So okay. I, would, I would ask that if somebody um, is interested um, that they get in touch with me um, and, and you know, we're in the process of setting things up. So yes, there, there has been um, two, at least two Spanish speaking calls so far, and I anticipate that there will be more. Um, but everything hasn't been formally set up as yet. And you just spearheaded an awesome project collecting reading material. Um, and, and I think that that was a pilot as well. That's something you want to you want to revisit um, at some point, right? Um, well, yes. I mean, we're, we we announced it during the um, at the um, panel held by the uh, by MCAC at the convention and I um, we will be working with Kelly to sort of get information out about it but the, so this was an attempt to you know achieve one of our mission goals which is to promote uh, dialogue and promote um, inclusion and to break down sort of barriers right and so um, what we did was in conjunction with representatives from uh, ACB Women, uh, you were there, uh, the B BPI, um, we, uh, we came together and we put together a reading list 
reflecting sort of different uh, cultures. So there's a reading list for African Americans, Asian and Asian, uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, um, Latino, Latinx, uh, women, uh, we're calling it women and feminism, and uh, disability and blindness, and the LGBTQ um, reading. So there's a reading list that talks about all of these different groups. And in each reading list, uh, we have uh, 10 fictional and 10 non-fictional books. All the books are available on BARD. And um, the whole list is currently available on the MCAC webpage at, uh, at the uh, American Council of the Blind. So we will be talking about them. Um, and most likely when uh, we select our books for the year, we're going to choose books out of those lists. Nice. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Cheryl outside of ACD. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what is Our Space, Our Place? Oh, aren't you kind for asking? So Our Space, Our Place is a nonprofit I started about 15 years ago. And um, I created it out of a desire to fill what I thought was a, a sort of gap in services here in Massachusetts, which was um, there were there are organizations that provide opportunities for blind kids to get together, but there wasn't an organization that was providing an opportunity for blind kids to get together consistently. Um, and why was that important? That was important because we really thought it was a way in which kids can form friendships, um, can be in a place where uh, all they're being is, they're just being kids. So every, all the activities we offer are always accessible um, and nobody will ever hear, oh, you, oh, we, oh we can't, you know, you can't participate or, um, you know, let me think about how we're going to include you um, because that's just done. And, and as I tell the kids, um, you know, they are encouraged to participate in everything. And uh, then they can decide like, I, I like that or I didn't like that. So that's sort of one level of why the organization exists. The other level why the organization exists is that um, at the time, there, you know, I, I had worked at the um, state agency for the blind and we would have young adults who were blind showing up. Um, they maybe just graduated from college and they were looking for work um, and they'd never worked before. And that yeah. was totally unlike other young people. Yeah. So our organization, another thing we do is we focus on career exploration activities. And for the kids who are of age and interested, we will work with them to help them find like their first work experience. Um, nice. Yeah. So it was definitely challenging the last two years in, as you know, the pandemic God, let's hope this surge is, um, you know, receding and not going to go in a crazy direction. But, it, you know, with with the pandemic seeming to recede, 
what is it going to look like for our space, our place when you come back out of the virtual realm? Yeah, so it's been interesting because one of the, I mean, as I think as ACB learned, one of the sort of benefits of the, this just awful time has been that we're virtual. And so kids who traditionally aren't able to participate can. So we've, we've had kids join us from Delaware and New Jersey and New York. Um, and it's like, you know, now they're like part of the family. And so one of the things we've been sort of contemplating is, okay, how do we allow for those kids to continue participating while going back to being an in-person program? Um, so that's, I don't know, we, we haven't quite figured it out, but that's that's one of the things we're trying to, to think through. Um, for the last few weeks, we've been a little bit in-person in the sense that um, one of our partners um, offers a rowing um, class. And so for the kids who are interested, we've been coming together and going rowing. Um, like so crew rowing? Yeah. Well. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, can can uh, folks donate? Uh, I, I'm sure a nonprofit could always use a little bit extra, um, if there's any extra coin out there that people want to give to a good place, can can folks donate? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be all like, uh, you know, Barbara Walters like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us, Cheryl, how can folks donate to our space, our place? It's easy peasy. Um, so our website is our space ourplace.org and if you go there there's a big button that says donate <laughs> <laughs> is it accessible with all of our very <laughs> it is i well it is very accessible it, it's a it's it's a it links you up to paypal and uh yeah it's as i said i mean we really strive to make sure that everything is accessible because i mean we truly believe that we all need places where it doesn't matter, right? It, whether you can see a lot or you can see a little, maybe we all, or you can't see it all. I think we just need places where you can do whatever it is you want to do and you don't have to think about it. So yes. um, we, you know, we try to create that space for the, the kids in the after school program. Um, <laughs> Well, I am going to ask Mr. Byron, who is probably hanging out munching on something in the background. Do we have any hands? Does anybody want to congratulate Cheryl or ask any questions? No, no, no. Hold on a minute. Well, let's see. We do have some hands, but I think the hands that we had were... Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, we do have some hands now. Um, so we have somebody with a 916 area code. I uh, don't know if your question was for Cheryl or for Wayne, but I'm going to ask you to unmute and you should be able to speak now. Hello, 916. All right, we've got nine minutes. All right, who's next? And if they unmute, we'll come back to 916. Okay, I'm going to ask uh, 330 to unmute. Three, three, zero. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, this, this question is for, <laughs> yes. 
this question is for for Wayne. Uh, how do you how were you able to survive after all that happened to you? Well, I mean, you know, music <laughs> music has been the driving force of my life since I was such a little kid, and um, you know, I knew I was going to you know after after the center. Um, I knew I was going to music school and nothing, nothing in the whole world could stop me short of death itself could stop me from going to music school. So that's at least that's what, you know, that's what I did. And, you know, um, I'll say that, you know, even though we didn't talk about it a lot, because I think I was, you know, very, you know, still very shell shocked about most of this type thing, but. <laughs> My, yeah. my parents were my parents were very supportive of what I had been through and, you know, wanted to make sure that I had a good, good time at home before I went to school. So um, and they definitely did that. <laughs> good. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie. Byron, who's next? All right. I uh, still see 916. Uh, with their hand up, so I'm gonna give you one op- one last opportunity. And that, that is Margie. I'm Hi. sorry, I went to the kitchen. Oh, so hey, you were Margie. also munching. Hey, good morning, all. And um, Cheryl, I'm just, I just love you. You are so creative and so committed to change in this world. And I, I don't know you very well, but when I hear you, it just, it just is so obviously clear, and it pours out of every. every flows out of every pore in your body, your love for humanity and your commitment. And thank you. And thank you for being here. And Wayne, good to hear you. We've communicated via email. I loved everything you had to say. I have a question if you elect to answer it or not. That's your choice. Um, And then I have a final comment. And my question is, did you ever report this to the authorities. No, I didn't. And and I didn't, you know, the reason why I didn't was because I didn't think I would be believed. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really I like the, go ahead. I, I just very quickly, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't super, you know, gung ho about the, about the training and um, just kind of being there and everybody, everybody, everybody knew it. And, and I wasn't, I think in a lot of ways, I wasn't, it seemed like I wasn't very popular. So I think it would have been, you know, back in those days, uh, the, the organization yeah. in question, they didn't even have a code of conduct at all. Correct. Right. So but I you were a minor at the time, weren't you? No, I wasn't. I was, oh, okay. I, okay. That I was 19. I was 19. Oh, you just missed it. Darn it. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, as you know, Wayne, I've been extremely active and I want you to know, that the California Council of the Blind passed a resolution, which is now going up to ACB, and the committee passed it. And um, one of the things, and I'm not going to ask if you did it, I'll just plant the seed with you, is rehab counselor needs to know when this happens. What we have pushed for in California is if any center has been known to um, or accused of, we will temporarily not send any clients to that uh, facility. And it doesn't just include NFB because there's others. Um, and um, a resolution that's going to national 
we're hoping gets over to RSA and, and other people, Department of Health and Human Services. And um, I want you to know that I am pushing this. So is another Californian, Mitch Pomerantz. Um, and so we have a blind advisory committee for rehab and the whole committee, the whole committee is in support of this resolution. Obviously, thus far, ACB is. And um, I'm just so proud of you to be on the road of recovery and being willing to talk about it because, as you know, through the music and talking is your healing. But that's all I had to say. Thank you. Great to hear you. And thank you for your courage. Thank you. We have to we have to keep in touch. I want to be involved in any any sort of, uh, you know, policy that ACB has around this issue. You talk to Anthony. He's got my number. Me. He's Absolutely. got my email. He's got he's got my number in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank Marcia, you, Anthony. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you know, I think if we do very quickly, if there's one more hand. Yeah, we have Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you to unmute. You can speak now. Hi, can you hear me? We sure can. Yes, go ahead. So this uh, question is for Anthony. Um, sorry, Cole, that you have went to, and I admire your now strength. But I was confused about uh, something you had said that you are now married, correct? You're married? I think you mean Wayne, but um, yes, Wait, Wayne. Say, oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I, I was married in, in, in 2008, yes. Oh, you were married in 2008. So I thought you were still married now because you had I said... Am. Okay, you're married now still. And you said you had come out in 2014? Yes. So I'm, I'm kind of confused about that because uh, when you were telling your story about the mobility instructor who also was living a double life is, I don't want to. Well, I, I, I don't think it's a double life. He came out to his wife and I, and I think we should respect their, their relationship privacy, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify it as a double life since they're both in the, in the know. Wayne, is there anything you do want to say on that subject before we close out the show? No, I'm definitely not living, living a double life. Um, I, 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 you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't um, have inappropriate relationships with people behind anyone's back. And, um, and uh, I, I would never do that. And, um, you know, if, if, if I were going to date someone else, then my wife would definitely know about it. Absolutely. And we are both, you know, understanding of the fact that there may come a time when we are not together you know, if we, if we find somebody that if we find, and I've had so many personal issues, you know, around my dad passing away and, and, and that sort of thing, it I, like relationship building, that sort of thing hasn't really been as much of a, uh, a priority. Um, you know, my wife and I are very happy together. We don't fight over things. We love each other very much. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, the way it is. And we both, we both understand what has transpired in the past. On that note, Wayne, thank you so much. Thank you for your bravery. Cheryl, of course, thank you Anthony. for coming on and, and uh, talking about our space, our place and MCAC Sunday edition. will be back with another great show next Sunday. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB radio mainstream. For more information, 
questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebrationac, that's the word celebration, with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday.